Chapter 40. Lordy, lordy, look who's got 40. There's been a murder. <laughs> you know what accent that is. No, it doesn't sound like a real one. Michael Scott's. There's been a murder. In what is it? In Charleston? Can't remember. Savannah. Welcome back to another episode of Is Fitz Happy. I'm Luke. And I'm Emma. And this week we're discussing Chapter 40 of Assassin's Quest, Regal. The catalyst comes to change all things is the intro to this. And then it goes directly into a scene of silence with Fitz and Night Eyes standing in the aftermath of that giant battle with Regal soldiers and these stone dragons. Right. This scene is depicted as a change of scenery from what we knew when they first came in. Essentially, there are holes everywhere, both in the trees and the ground from where the elderlings, as Fitz calls them, stone dragons, have moved from years of staying in one spot. The trees are slashed up around, too, so it's a little bit different looking, and it's completely quiet, With no insects chirping or any animal sound or movement. Fitz and Nedice kind of gather themselves and go look for some water because they are extremely thirsty after all of the uh, energy that they expended fighting all these people. And as they're walking through, they see kind of the remains or lack thereof of the soldiers that they were fighting. Because a lot of it's just supplies and weapons and things like that scattered around and not bodies, except for the ones that Fitz and Night Eyes themselves killed because the dragons absorb and hunt for life and not dead meat. Right. So they're going through this odd scene with all these kind of things around and not much to show for it besides just kind of a mess (laughs) of items yeah it's very abrupt in this change of there's a lot happening there's a bunch of fighting going on it's life or death and then all of a sudden it's done and it's all gone um there's also a really interesting line that i think really depicts fitz as a whole as a character where he says i stood in the midst of the destruction night eyes at my side and looked about slowly Then we went to look for water. And it just makes me think of Fitz as a person. He's always in the middle of the destruction. He's always in the middle of the big event and then has no interest in it. There's no deeper pondering. There's no like, oh, wow, I can't believe that this happened. It's kind of just like, well, that happened. All right, next task. And I. He's got a lot of that from Night Eyes, like the live in the moment, be pragmatic what's the next step to survive kind of thing. Yeah. And it's pretty true. Like what you pointed out, it's, he never has an interest in the big event because he doesn't want to be there in the first place. Usually, (laughs) (laughs) even though he's always in the middle. (laughs) Right. He's very much 
a person who would prefer to be at home. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. So they go to a stream. They clean their wounds, their sword gashes, which Night Eyes will have another one that will scar and fits as well. And they're both kind of just accepting and move on past that quickly because it's just another scar to them. Right. At this I, point. I will say, I think it's just another scar for Night Eyes. He kind of doesn't care. Fitz seems to be a little bit more sad about it. He's still... He's, yeah. He's, he's always... glum, but he agrees that it's just another scar. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think he's resigned to that fact now. It's like, yeah, Night Eyes will help me no matter what. But, like, I wish Night Eyes would just run away when these things happen. <laughs> so he's perfect <laughs> afterwards. Right. Trying to keep people on pedestals, like usual. <laughs> True. And safe from anything. Right. But I also think, like, his glumness, as it is described, comes from himself also getting these scars. Yeah. Um, Just another loss of... I don't even want to say perfection, because I don't think he sees himself as perfect, but just I feel like it's another visible thing for people to know what he is. Right. Yeah, that's fair. Um, But yeah, and then they have to decide what next, now that they've filled themselves with water they're tired from Mm -hmm. all the effort they've put through in fighting off a ton of people and Fitz decides it's time to sleep yeah and the only thing that Night Eyes says that's better than sleep right now is probably finding food so they agree to go through the uh the tents of the soldiers to find food there because they don't want to expend energy to kill anything else at this moment it doesn't sound appetizing to Fitz and Night Eyes is lamenting the fact that that's the problem with killing humans is that so much effort is expended and there's nothing to eat there as well. Right. Which is a kind of funny sentiment from a wild animal. He he isn't wild anymore. Yes. But just I think in the wild, if a wolf killed a human and some and was starving or something yeah they would for sure eat human meat i I think even if they came across a dead human they'd probably eat a i just i don't know i don't i don't have very much experience with uh (laughs) wolves eating dead bodies but i would have to assume it's meat (laughs) so they're going through these tents they do find some you know travel bread and some dried meats things like that yeah it does mention that Fitz is so tired right now. Yeah. He, after they are getting water, he has taken his shirt off and kind of rinsed off a little bit, but he doesn't even bother to pick his shirt up. He knows there's probably another somewhere at the campsite that, that he can that take. not bloody. <laughs> yeah. And he even mentions that he would have left Verity's sword behind. He's so tired, but it was already sheathed. And at his waist. So that's and too the much reason. effort to draw again. <laughs> yeah. So they're bone tired. Yes. Which does make sense because Fitz has been expending a lot of skill or yeah, skill and wit. <laughs> but also I thought it was really interesting because there's no mention here of a headache. True. Yeah. So there hasn't been for the last few chapters, I think. Yeah. Actually. Which I thought this was his skill headache is a thing that happens well into next series of next Fitz trilogy. It does. Yes. So I think it's really interesting that we don't hear about it while we're here in the mountains. Yeah. I don't know if that's an oversight or if 
it was just a complication that Robin Hobb left out on purpose, or if it's because it can be explained away by, you know, the closeness to how much skill is around in this area or something. Yeah. I I don't know. know. Because we know that it's partially from his injury, or at least mainly from his injury. Right. Physical injury and not, you know, really anything that he's doing wrong or anything like that. (laughs) True. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Just the realization I had on a read through. Mm-hmm. So they get some food and they scarf that down as well. They're binding their wounds. At least Fitz is binding his wounds. Nida says, you know, it's fine. <laughs> right. <laughs> like he normally does. Yeah, they it's actually really funny because uh, first Fitz mentions that the bread is travel bread, which almost tastes good because he has been so long without real bread. And then he finds wine, and after taking one sip of it, decides that it's best used to clean his cuts, not drink. Which is funny, because I think it is a running gag that Pharaoh wine isn't very good, right? Or the inland duchy. I think there's another comment about the wine. I don't know if we talked about it on the podcast, Hmm. but I for sure made note, and it like rang a bell whenever I I read this. I thought it was that... The Pharaoh wine was better. No, there is that one area that used to be an amazing vineyard and then a drought came right. and it no longer yeah, goes great. By Blue Lake, yeah. Yes. But I think the like alcohol in general, two fits at least. It's not I don't mm. think it's commented on by other people unless they're buckmen. But like in general, it seems like Fitz does not like the alcohol from the inner yeah, I also don't trust Fitz's taste in alcohol, though. True. <laughs> because according to Birik, who is also kind of like a drunkard and you'd think would be fine <laughs> with any kind of alcohol, says what Fitz drinks and likes is absolute garbage. That blackberry True. brandy stuff. <laughs> right. Although it does sound good. So I don't know. <laughs> I've had blackberry brandy before and it is very, I don't know how to describe it. I, I would say like thick. Ew. I don't know. It's weird. <laughs> it's like almost medicinal in its taste. Interesting. It could, I mean, obviously it's the brand right. that I had, but Interesting. I guess it was my gran- one of my grandpa's favorite drinks. Huh. Blackberry brandy. Well, either way. They do I- have the good stuff later on. Apricot brandy, though. Yes. Sand sedge. <laughs> yes, that is amazing, apparently. But I did, I did find it funny that it is brought up that the wine is so poor that Fitz decides to clean a yeah. wound with it and then drinks some more and is like, no, it's still bad and offers to clean Night Eyes' wound. And Night Eyes is like, no. No, it, it already hurts enough. You don't need to put yeah. alcohol in it. I'm good. <laughs> I just thought that was really fun. Fitz is starting to stiffen, but decides to stand up and start rummaging around, emptying out a pack, gathering some supplies and... Night Eyes is wondering what he's doing because Night Eyes is close to sleeping himself. And Fitz just mentions to him, I don't want to sleep here tonight, which is understandable to me. It's a battlefield. Like, you don't want to be by that. You don't want to have that reminder, especially for Fitz. You just don't want to have that in your dreams or be around anything. Fair. Know that you have that evidence there. Oh, I'm, I'm sleeping in a dead man's tent tonight. You know? Right. Yeah. That would definitely be hard. I guess what's the difference if you're sleeping in a dead man's tent where he died versus a few miles away to me personally. But he also does mention the pillar, though, that he wants to be away from the pillar before he falls asleep again. 
Which is also understandable. Yes, because he does know that there are more coteries out there. Yeah. So there is that threat. But as Night Eyes agrees, he catches something and says, what was that? There is first a discussion about where they're going to go. And Fitz isn't sure. He first thinks of Buck and going back to Molly and immediately decides against that. There's no reason. And then thinks to jean Pay, And again, he thinks, what's the point? Why would I go there? And so there's this interesting point of he doesn't know where to go. There is yeah. not really a destination in mind for the first time in a while. And that's when he says, well, I still don't want to sleep here, so we'll just get away from the pillar for now. Right. So Night Eyes agrees, and before they can move on, he picks up on something and asks, what was that? We froze as we stood, every sense prickling. Let's go and find out, I suggested quietly. Afternoon was venturing into evening, and the shadows under the trees were deepening. What we had heard was a sound that didn't belong amongst the creaking of the frogs and insects and the fading calls of the daybirds. It had come from the place of battle. We found Will on his belly, dragging himself toward the pillar. Rather, he had been dragging himself. When we found him, he was still. One of his legs was gone, severed away jaggedly, bone thrust out of the torn flesh. He had bound a sleeve about the stump, but not tightly enough. Blood still leaked from it. Night Eyes bared his teeth as I stooped to touch him. He lived, but barely. No doubt he had hoped to reach the pillar and slip through to find others of Regal's men to aid him. Regal must have known he still lived, but he had sent no one back for him. He had not even the decency to be loyal to a man who had served him that long. So Fitz and Night Eyes find Will. Right. Struggling and almost dead. Yeah. I do want to say... This is horrible. I don't <laughs> I don't think that it's great. I mean, even though Will is a terrible, terrible person, I, I hate that this is kind of his end just because it feels too mean almost. I mean, I guess, again, like he was a horrible person. I don't want to negate that. But I guess I feel pity for him because he wasn't necessarily a willing evil person. And that's what Fitz realizes, too, in the next coming scenes. Right. That it was always just regal. You know, it was never really Will himself. Yeah. And so I guess that makes me feel really bad that this is the ending for Will. I also think it's weird. This is just kind of like an off topic kind of thing. But I think it's weird that he is missing a leg because I was under the assumption that if someone like Will were to touch one of the dragons or they had him in their mouth, that he would just disappear into the dragon. <laughs> I think that's only for non-quickened dragons or awakened dragons. I mean, all the soldiers disappear, but that's because of like the breath or like, you know, that quote unquote fire breathing that the dragons do. Cause that happens later on in the books as well with the real dragons. They have like that acid breath or whatever. Right. For what happened to Will, I think it's just that the dragon grabbed his leg, chomped it off, and threw him in the air, and he landed in a tree, right? It's not that he used they used the breath or anything. Right, but, like, they don't... I don't know how to phrase this. I don't think they have a breath to give... Like, they're soaking up the people, or they're absorbing the people. That's why nobody's there, right? I... it's... 
The attack is stated last chapter. Let me let me read the exact description. Because I thought, I mean, in my head, it, it sticks out that they have like. I a breath or something. That's really interesting because that does not ring any bells at all for these specific dragons. <laughs> There's I feel like. It's not super described. It's just that like there's swooping going on and then suddenly silence where there once was a screaming person. Girl on a dragon swept low over me, the fool on her back, a golden brown archer writhing in the dragon's jaws. The man was suddenly go- or gone suddenly, a puff of smoke or steam swept away by the wind of her passage. So not a breath, but maybe you just have to stay there long enough to be fully absorbed mm. and since will was flung away or whatever it wasn't long enough in contact with the dragon to be absorbed interesting that's fair i guess yeah it makes sense that there need to be time it is a whole person right so i guess i'll give it to it but that (laughs) that was another thought i had was just like well why didn't he just disappear (laughs) so but fitz and night eyes find him and fitz Gives him some water. And tightens the bandage on his leg to mm-hmm. cut off circulation. Why do you bother? Ned Isaac asked. We hate him, and he's nearly dead. Let him die. Not yet. Not just yet. Will? Can you hear me, Will? The only sign was a change in his breathing. I gave him a bit more water. He breathed him in, gasped, then swallowed the next mouthful. He took a deeper breath and sighed it out. I opened myself and gathered skill. My brother, leave this. Let him die. This is the doing of carrion birds to peck at dying things. It's not Will I'm after, Night Eyes. This may be the last chance I'll ever get at Regal. I'm going to take it. He made no more reply, but lay down on the ground beside me. And this is another misleading thing that Robin Hobb does, because she ends this with Fitz thinking... Could I gather enough strength to kill him? How much would it take? That sort of thing. And then it moves on to saying, like, Will was so weak, I almost felt shamed going through his head and going through his memories. And just kind of leading you to, okay, so he's going to try to reach through to kill Regal. And that's what this whole part is setting up, which obviously doesn't happen. Right. (laughs) I do think that it's really interesting that Night Eyes doesn't understand what Fitz is doing. I think this shows another point where though Night Eyes is human-like, there is still nuance that he cannot understand as an animal. Yeah. And that helping someone that is your enemy to live a little bit longer so that you can use them for a purpose doesn't make sense because why would you prolong the death? Just get it over with in an animal's point of view and Fitz is like, no, there's still like use for this body, which is very human. Right. I think very chate of him. Yes. (laughs) I mean, Hey, it's a good, I, it's a good thought. I don't blame him. Oh no, no, me either. So he remarks on how weak Will is, and it's not about the physical injuries he's sustained, but it's also because of Burl's death followed, you know, so closely behind Carrot's death plus Regal's abandonment of him. And Fitz remarks that his own loyalty to Regal had been skill imprinted on him. He could not grasp that Regal had felt no real bond with him. It shamed him that I could see that in him. 
Kill me now, bastard. Go ahead. I'm dying anyway. It's not about you, Will. It was never about you. I saw that clearly now. I groped inside him as if I were probing a wound for an arrowhead. He struggled feebly against my invasion, but I ignored that. And he's going through his memories, trying to find useful information. Right. But this is, this is that realization that, yeah, it's not Will. Actually going through his memories, this was all Regal and Galen, who skill imprinted loyalty. Right. Yes, Will did horrible things, but he kind of had to. And he, because of that skill imprint, he doesn't realize that Regal didn't have any feelings for him either. So that abandonment hurt double hard. Right. I think it's really interesting because a few chapters ago, we talked about how when Fitz is skill commanded to come to Verity and he is standing on that bank trying to get to his newborn daughter and physically cannot, we talked a little bit about what does that look like on a long-term scale? Like Mm -hmm. what happens when you forget that you can no longer do something, that you wanted to do something else to begin with? And I think this is a really good example. I think it's also a little different because I'm sure there was already probably some level of loyalty to anyone in the Farseer line. So implanting this obsessive almost loyalty to Regal wouldn't be that outside of your normal to begin with because you're already a royal subject. So you're used to monarchies Mm -hmm. and there would be no reason for them to think that Regal is a bad person. It's just that when they learn of the horrible things he's doing, what level of thinking goes into the justification, I guess, of staying loyal to Regal when you're skilled to do so. And so I think seeing this, that on at least for Will, on his side, it felt very, I'm doing this because I'm proving my loyalty and because I have this bond with this person and we're so close and... I love him as a ruler and like, I really think that he deserved to rule and I'll stop at nothing to get him where he needs to be. And it's just really interesting to see that side of mm-hmm. there. You j- he just doesn't even realize why he right. thought that to begin with. Mm-hmm. So Fitz is rummaging through Will's thoughts here and get some information about the coteries that yes, Regal does have other coteries in fact, but they are young and in Fitz's words, green. Little more than groups of men with potential for the skill. Even the ones I had seen at the quarry were uncertain. Regal wanted him to make large coteries so they could pool more power. Regal did not understand that closeness could not be forced, nor shared by that many. So they obviously were very untrained, so they lost some on the skill road, they lost some through the pillars. Right. And... The ones that made it there were still very untrained. Yeah. <laughs> and Regal is just thinking about the weapons and the power and not how it actually works. Right. Which is really interesting to me because we know that Regal has studied the skill scrolls. I, I think it's implied that he only looked at the stuff that had that quote unquote secret that Galen mm. kept from him about like the Elderlings and carving dragons. Okay. I cannot see him going through the other ones and being like, this is how you open your mind to the skill. And like those basics of it requires, you know, people who are close to another with a genuine connection (laughs) to have power. You know, I I feel like it was just the 
oh, you need coteries to carve dragons. Good, I'll make a lot of them. And then two, oh, this coterie I'm connected to can pull me a bunch of power, add more people, and I'll have more power. Right, yeah. I think no, it's just that, basic thoughts. That makes sense of, yeah, because I, I guess I was reading this like, well, why wouldn't he have known if he's read the skill scrolls? But I guess you're you right. So. If, he's he's yeah. not that uh, motivated, I don't think. <laughs> That's fair. It's not as interesting when it doesn't directly result in him getting power, I'm sure. So, yeah, I guess that makes sense then. And so Fitz goes deeper into his memories and he notes that Will is threatening to die on him. But linked as they were, Fitz fed skill strength to him to keep him alive. And there, he finally finds what he was seeking, the the leftover skill link back to Regal. Even though Regal abandoned him, they were connected for so long that there is still that residual link, and he can follow that back to Regal. Right. And there's also the mention last chapter of the way Regal was attached to Will. It was like a worm in, yeah, like a parasite. Yeah, uh, through his consciousness. So, like, they were really closely connected. This isn't as tenuous as Fitz and the Fool were, and that left a mark. So, like, I'm sure that this is impossible to get rid of at this point. Mm-hmm. At least at this point in time. Maybe with a few more days of separation, I don't know. So he gathers his skill and flows along it towards Regal, but holds back at the last possible second to just kind of seep in slowly and get a sense for what Regal is thinking at the moment. Right. I do want to mention that in this scene, I started thinking about how it's a little bit strange at how suddenly really good at using the skill Fitz is. He's using all these skills and talents and doing a lot of multitasking. And I get that there's this idea that when you use the skill enough and you're connected to the stream enough, some things just come naturally. Mm-hmm. You just know how to use a skill. I just think in practice, it does feel a little clunky that, I don't know, just a few chapters ago, he still was barely having a grasp on his skill usage. And now he's like, just got done fighting off 15 dudes and is now going to pool it into one person and himself and seep into somebody's consciousness on purpose. So there's a couple things about that, uh, that I kind of have counters to. Sure. Um, first off, they have mentioned repeatedly throughout, you know, since they started this journey along the black skill road, that the skill is much more accessible in this area beyond the mountains. That's like it is always right there and it's so close and you don't, even though he has extremely strong walls up all the time, he can still pretty much feel it. Right. So when you drop those walls, it's going to be right there. And I think that's the physical manifestation of one worked skill stone, but Mm. two, the actual river of skill is nearby. Right. Right. So there's that, those connections there and you can become immersed more easily in that. So that helps Fitz connect to the skill readily. When he drops away his walls rather than trying to grasp at it and struggling to connect at all. Right, right. So I think that kind of explains that part. And two, the other sections that he's suddenly become really good at, I feel he has seen directly used against him. So one. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, his fight with Will to begin with, he's like, is Will using his skill to enhance himself, to make him feel faster in the sword yeah. fight? And then, you know, the next chapter. Or the next scene, he immediately does that himself because he's like, oh, this should be possible. 
I'll give myself a bunch of strength and give Night Eyes a bunch of strength, I feel faster. Right. You know, so I feel like that was a kind of direct connection there. And and this, a lot of what the Coterie has been doing and a lot of what Kettle has told him and feeling out that new skill connection with a fool, like you said, he's like, oh, there are residuals of these skill links everywhere. Right. Will was connected to Regal. There has to be something there. And it just kind of goes from that. Interesting. Yeah, I guess that's a good point that there's reason. And and plus the uh, the skill command that he does impart on Regal here, he does make mention that going through Will's mind gives him a better grasp of how that's done. Right. That's fair. That's super fair. So I, I think they're like, while yes, there's no skill headache, he seems incredibly strong without any fatigue from using it. Right. There's no real training. Right. It. I think there are some explanations of why he would know how to do what he's doing. Because in the beginning, he was incredibly strong. Right. He was probably the strongest skill user in the, the trained coterie. Yeah, Before he was, you know, stunted and <laughs> right. tortured, basically. Yeah. And I guess it's not like he has never had any training. And I'm sure that Kettle's stone game that she's been practicing with him is a type of training that is helping in yeah, some way. Yeah, definitely. So... I don't know. He's he's had like the skill link with Kettle 2 releasing her. That was probably pretty advanced. True. True. That's a good point. Yeah. I guess it just stuck out to me as odd. But as we're talking about it more, it does make sense. (laughs) (laughs) We get into Regal's thoughts here. And I do want to read out this first paragraph because it's very interesting and full of juicy details. Yes. He slept. No, he almost slept. His lungs thick with smoke his mouth numb from brandy. I drifted into his dreams. The bed was soft beneath him, the coverlets warm over him. This last falling fit had been a bad one, a very bad one. It was disgusting to fall and twitch like the bastard fits. Not proper for this to happen to a king. Stupid healers. They could not even say what had brought these fits on. What would people think of him? The tailor and his apprentice had seen. Now he would have to kill them. No one must know. They would laugh at him. The healer had said he was better last week. Well, he would have to find a new healer and hang the old healer tomorrow. No, he would give them to the forged ones in the king's circle. They were very hungry now. And then let the big cats out with the forged ones. And the bull, the big white one with the sweeping horns and the hump. He tried to smile and tell himself it would be amusing, to tell himself that tomorrow would bring him pleasure. The room was thick with the cloying odor of smoke, but even it could scarcely soothe him. All had been going so well, so very, very well, and then the bastard had ruined it all. He had killed Burl and awakened the dragons and sent them to Verity. 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 It was always Verity. Ever since he'd been born... Verity and Chivalry got tall horses while he was kept to a pony. Verity and Chivalry got real swords, but he must practice with wood. Verity and Chivalry always together, always older, always bigger. Always thinking they were better, even though they came of finer blood, that he came of finer blood than they, and by right should have inherited the throne. His mother had warned him of their jealousy of him. His mother had bade him always be careful and more than careful. They would kill him if they could. They would. They would. Mother had done her best. She had seen them sent away as much as she could. But even sent away, they might come back. No. There was only one way to be safe. 
only one way. I'm going to stop right there. It's a lot to unpack, and it, yeah. it is a very, very amazing glimpse into Regal's mind here. This is something that, you know, first-time readers through might want through all of this book, and we get into right. the second-to-last chapter ever. And it explains a lot of the motive and a lot of the manipulative abuse and gaslighting that his mother <laughs> grew up, like, raised him in. Right. I think... My main thought when reading this section, especially as a rereader, and especially this time through, especially this time through specifically, I am a little disappointed. I feel like this is very childish, and I wanted more. <laughs> I think that there's this idea that we have come across as we've been doing this podcast that Regal can't be as incompetent and dumb as Fitz thinks of him as like, there's too much that's done that is done well for him to I don't, be so small minded, I guess. And then we have this section of Regal's mind and it feels very much childish. And so I guess that part disappoints me. I want him to be more of like, I don't, less sympathetic and more like, <laughs> yes, I'm a horrible person and I'm calculating. But I also know that this is on the verge of sleep and he's had a lot to drink and a lot to smoke, a lot to smoke. Yeah. So I feel like this is just like the root of who Regal is. Yeah. I don't think this is like peak regal making plans no, no and no, that no. helps me feel better <laughs> yeah this, this about... is definitely just the the bare issues that led him to the decisions right he no. did i but i think that does help me feel a little bit better about my disappointment where i'm like ugh, he seems like a cartoon villain and not like an evil mastermind and i want him to be an evil mastermind <laughs> i also don't think he's the evil mastermind but he's somewhere in between right and I think this was very, this feels more childish. And so it's like a little bit like, oh, I wanted more. But there is a lot going on. Mm -hmm. We are learning a lot. Yeah. So he has had some seizures, mm -hmm. most likely from the poison that Fitz put into his rooms on his uh, night to assassinate him. The same kind of poisons that were used on Fitz. And it wasn't enough to kill him. But it probably made him sick for a while and then gives him that weakness and those falling fits and seizures. That's so interesting. I totally forgot all about that. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking maybe it was from skill, like the oh. echoes of people dying in the skill that he's attached to. Maybe. Actually, that could be true as well. It could be a combination. It was the last one, which was a bad one. And it was mm -hmm. with Burl and Will getting injured. So possible. I always attribute it to the poison. Right. I genuinely, that is the first time I've ever even thought about the poison again after Fitz kind of sprinkled it somewhere that he thought yeah. might be Regal's room. Yeah, didn't he do it in like, it wasn't a room, it was like a dressing room, right? Yes. And he poisoned pretty much everything. Yeah, anything that he could get his hand on. But I guess I didn't think about it because we are never told if it actually was Regal's room. And I guess whenever I think of that, I think about how he was being manipulated by the skill and yeah. I don't know when that started. So in my mind, I thought that it was probably just some poor, unfortunate random person. I think it was after that, to be honest. 
where the skills started. Yes, where the manipulation started. That's fair. Yeah, it could it could definitely be the skill connections. I hadn't thought of that angle. Yeah. Okay, but I like it way more if Fitz actually was somewhat successful with the poison. <laughs> <laughs> and then he says, you know, we have to kill the healers. They saw can't anyone. No one can see I'm weak. The tailor. In any way. Yes. Tailors and the healer has to die as well because he was wrong. He was wrong about me getting better. And it talks about the king's circle, how the forged ones are extremely hungry and to let the big cats out. All the horrible things that we've talked about before. Right. About that. Yeah. It also is weird to see this weird, this like nonchalance of attitude of killing. I think after being in Fitz's head for so long. I think it fits with Regal's character. I definitely am not surprised by it, but I do think it's really stark in comparison to how Fitz feels bad even when he has to kill forged ones. Right. And here, here's Regal on his nightly bedtime routine of the list of people he's going to kill tomorrow. Like, And you don't think he's a big evil villain? Okay, well, <laughs> yes, I know he's a villain. He is. <laughs> I just feel like he's more sympathetic in this because he seems like such a big baby. Like... <laughs> And then we get the line about Fitz ruining everything again, which, I mean, this time it's kind of justified. Fitz did ruin all of his plans by killing Burl and then awakening <laughs> the, the rest of the stone dragons, you know? Yeah, to help Verity. Sure. Yep. <laughs> and then it goes into the whole rant about Verity and chivalry. And Regal is literally just describing being the younger kid. Yeah. Uh, you know, the older kids get their cell phones first. <laughs> in yeah, most and cases. I had a toy phone. It's not fair. Right, exactly. There's a like ten year age difference between Verity and Regal, right? Mm, I think it might be ten years for like chivalry and Regal, mm. but maybe a little bit less. Okay. For for Verity, I feel like oh, this is really stretching my memory here, but I think. <laughs> When Fitz is six and they're standing in Moon's Eye, Verity and Birik are 26. Or was Birik the same age as Chivalry? I think he was the same age as Verity. Yeah, I think they're the same age. Verity and And Birik. And I feel like Regal was about 18 or 19. Yeah, I think you're right. So that's like seven or eight years. Okay. So, so then it would be 10 years for chivalry because I think he's two years older. Right. I, I mean, I could be wrong about those ages. <laughs> I feel like you're at least. I know Birk right was 26. Yeah. I know Regal is like late teens. Yes. And so. I know Birk was 26 and he's tied with either chivalry or Verity. But either way, from eight to 10 years difference right. between Verity and Regal. Which is a stark difference, especially with like going through male puberty That's like graduating high school and a third grader right like <laughs> if you have somebody who is going through puberty and like getting testosterone and growing muscles really fast and you have a literal child mm -hmm. like they're gonna be on different playing fields and you probably don't want to fight them with a real sword <laughs> you don't want to give and, a real sword to you know a third grader <laughs> right also <laughs> dangerous <laughs> and the fact that he's upset about the size of the horses like i had a pony there's a video that i've seen of people making fun of a celebrity that i won't name because it's not important where they said when i was a baby i cried a lot and my older sibling didn't care 
and there that's like supposed to be a sob story and it's obviously satire and that's what this is making me feel like where it's like <laughs> i was a baby and i had a dirty diaper and my older sibling didn't change it it's because they hate me it's like okay well <laughs> you're a child they were a child and you were a baby i don't know <laughs> Not right. your parents. It's it's a lot of, and you can tell because it immediately goes back into conversations about, well, mother always told me. It's a lot yes. of Queen Desire ramping up this jealousy and stuff, saying that they were jealous of him for being more royal, saying that they wanted to kill Regal. So he's always like, well, I am more royal than these two. Why am I getting the shorter end of the stick if they're right. getting these nice shiny new toys? It, it's all Queen Desire. She is like... She and Galen, I believe, are like the true villains of this trilogy. Yes. Well, I'm sure they're the ones who pointed it out to young Regal that this is. A, see, oh, yeah. They're they're making fun of you because you have a wooden sword and they have real swords. hundred percent that you're telling your, you know, 10 year old child like, hey, you only have a pony. Why is that? Why did Verity and Chivalry get horses? Right. They think they're better. And. I think it's so sad that they... Oh, it is. And the worst part is that I'm sure Verity and Chivalry wouldn't have noticed this. Oh, no, 100% they would not. They would think it's normal because it is. Right. (laughs) But I mean, I think that, first of all, Regal probably was already kind of spoiled. And I can imagine him throwing tantrums for not getting what he wants. They did mention that because it was Shrewd's... He married for love for the second right. marriage, right? So it was Shrewd's like, this is my baby boy kind yes. of thing. Very doting father. So I'm sure that they didn't even think anything of it whenever Regal would be upset about not having what they had. And mm-hmm. they probably, just based on their personality types, didn't make it any better. <laughs> I'm sure they tried to joke with him and didn't realize that potentially their jokes could be taken seriously because they're thinking, oh, I joke with my brother like this. I'll joke with my younger brother like this. And it's not the same because you're getting fed that they want to kill you the whole time. <laughs> yeah, it's just I think it's so sad that Regal had to live his life that way, that he was being told that everyone is out to get you yeah. except for me, your loving mother. And it's horrible because there are so many instances when Regal and Verity could have gotten rid, or I'm sorry, Verity and Chivalry could have gotten rid of Regal and didn't because they had no interest. They never wanted to kill Regal. It was never about Regal. And, <laughs> and that he was their brother. You know? Yes. And they cared about him. I think that there was love there at some point. Even Verity refused to punish Regal for almost killing Fitz and murdering the monarch or soon-to-be monarch of a different nation. So when Fitz connected with Verity at some point when they were talking to Regal, he realized the depth of the anger and hurt that Verity felt. But I think because Verity was king in waiting, he couldn't you know, just make a rash action and kill his younger half-brother or whatever. Well, it was you don't more have to kill like him, but you could put him political. in the dungeon forever. Like, <laughs> Well, then create a civil war, right? I guess, he was thinking yeah. of the kingdom there. He probably wanted to at that point, but he couldn't politically. Yeah. But I guess that's... But a, there w- yes, there yeah. was love uh, before, anyway. And I think the fact that even that aspect of, like, thinking of the kingdom first before your own personal grudge, like, Regal would have just killed him. Right. He wouldn't have cared. He would have let, he'd be like, I'll figure that part out later. 
people won't care. I'll make them not care. I'll spin it somehow. Yeah. And he would have done it really well, I'm sure. But <laughs> I just, I don't know. It just, it breaks my heart what was done to Regal. Mm-hmm. Especially because, like I said before, I think if he wasn't a villain, he would have been a great asset to the throne. Oh, yeah. 100%. He's like the perfect politician. He's really talented at all things being a king is social wise. If he was raised to love his brothers and to want to help the kingdom. I mean, he really helped at the end of this chapter. True. It's <laughs> it just is so sad. I don't know. And it's all because of Queen Desire being a horrible person. I want to know what kind of trauma she went through as a kid or like how she was raised because she is the spark for Galen and Regal. She raised both of them. Right. Or at least influenced both of them to be as they are. So I feel who like, is Queen Desire? <laughs> like, <right>? Yeah. <laughs> I feel like she's just a paranoid person. I don't. And maybe maybe this is just generations of people who were once kings and queens that right. got taken over. Being Raised like, by narcissists who think they're entitled to way more than they are. Right. Just. Yeah. I don't know. But either way, it would not be a fun childhood to have her mm. as your mom. And it it says in here through Regal's mind that she sent Verity and Chivalry away as often as she could. Right. And I know from earlier in the books, we learned that I think starting at 16, Chivalry started going out on like those solo trips for war and for diplomatic purposes and things like that. He obviously right. flourished. But... That is a lot of influence from Queen Desire to send them away because then Verity yeah. followed as well. And like a year later, because otherwise he was moping around, I guess, <laughs> right. without his brother. And I don't think they knew that Desire was the reason no, yeah. that they went. I think they thought their king or their father, the king, made the decision, King Shrewd. And ultimately, yes, Shrewd, I'm sure, did, but he would have listened to his wife as well. Right. She was obviously a very manipulative person and knew how to manipulate everyone around her, including her husband. Yeah. It's also interesting that at some point just sending them away isn't enough because they're still alive. And then Mm -hmm. there's this idea of like, we got to kill them. And And that's where it comes in with chivalry being assassinated by Queen Desire. Yes. Or at least her command. Yeah. I do wonder if the plan from the get-go was always to murder them. If Queen Desire kind of was always this person's that looks on life so frivolously that like people beneath her could die. She doesn't care. Or if this is something that grew from years of her own self delusion, having this son that she cared about and the drugs that she took. Maybe. Yeah. I I don't know. It would be interesting. I feel like there's like one passage we get in the books, but it doesn't talk about her motivations or personal, personal wants or life or, action she took before she became queen right at least too much but it would be interesting if she was as destructive there as well because it could have i could see it as a plan eventually you know oh i'll have a kid and then convince the king that this kid is way better than the other sons right and i do wonder if there was always this plan from the beginning for the throne like if she just always knew she was going to go for it maybe the reason that the boys' mother died had something to do with her, you know? Possibly. I'm not sure because there is a passage in the trilogy that says King Regal married for love, but 
there's an I think a different one maybe King Shrewd or King Shrewd sorry uh, married for love the second time and that was Queen Desire but Queen Desire chose to accept the king's marriage because she would be closer to that throne she felt like she would have more power remaining in the inner duchies right but she wanted to be closer to the throne so I feel like it it wasn't expected that he would go after her for marriage right. okay so I don't think personally that she is involved in the first queen's death definitely possible. Maybe it was the servants. Who knows? Long con. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was the whites, you know? Yeah. But I I think it was, this is presented in front of me. I can relinquish some of my immediate power to get, you know, a future kid on the throne. Right. I don't know. But that I think that idea, just like thinking of what turned her into what she is. Right. I wonder if part of it, I mean, like I said, she has, she struggles with addiction. So maybe part of it does stem from already being somewhat delusional Mm -hmm. and having narcissism and then getting on these drugs that make you even more paranoid. Like maybe it just pushes you to the edge to become a murderer. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think, I don't think people who struggle with drug addiction all become murderer. I think (laughs) murderers, I think in this specific instance, I wonder about it, but there's lots of death in the six touches in general too. They they talk about that. Life is hard. It's just, a situation you learn to live and deal with. Yeah. But I also wonder if some of that, like the feeling of needing to be better and to convince everyone that you're better than them and knowing for a fact that everybody around you is whispering against you. I wonder if that stems from being the second wife of a a ruler. Maybe. His first wife was a beloved queen. Yeah. And you're an inner duchy person who probably isn't super well liked. I know we don't talk about that a ton about how we've talked about how people in the inner duchy don't like people in the outer duchy, that there's like some sort of prejudice there, some style of that. But I wonder if the same is true opposite. It's just not as. Yeah. A mutual animosity between the two. Just they don't get my style of life. And so I bet it would be hard to be a queen like that. Mm -hmm. Again, I think we're giving a lot of credit and. humanity to these characters who are I think that's the only humanity we gave to yeah that's (laughs) fair to desire yeah I don't think it's a lot but it is some but I do think it is important to think about those sides of these characters and I think it speaks to the wonderful writing of Robin Hobb that this is a minor character I mean Queen Desire is important but she is a minor character she's literally not in any scenes yeah at all and, and yet we can still, like, we know enough about her as a character. She has enough roundedness that we can think about her in a more in-depth, humane way. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I don't know. I think that just speaks to the writing. It's mm-hmm. very good. And through that all, Regal is just in his own mind. He inherited some of that paranoia, some of that scheming, some of that, well, some, all of that narcissism. and <laughs> right entitlement from his mother and he's still thinking of like oh all of this went wrong and all because of verity and and fits but i would still win tomorrow he's saying and he's talking about you know i still have all these coteries coteries to make dragons for me more dragons than verity would ever have and then i can you know bring him down Right. And the the coteries are bound to me, so their dragons would be bound to me, and everything would be bound to me. Yeah, except Will had been the one to train the dragons, and now Will was useless, he's saying. Broken like a toy, the dragon bit his leg off when he flung him in the air, and Will had landed in a tree like a kite with no wind. It was disgusting. A man with one leg, he couldn't stand broken things. 
His blind eye had been bad enough, but to lose a leg, too? What would men think of a king who kept a crippled servant? His mother had never trusted cripples. They are jealous, she had warned him, always jealous, and they will turn on you. But Will he had needed for the coteries. Stupid Will. It was all Will's fault. Okay, again, what kind of life did Lady Desire lead? uh, lead? It's all about that paranoia, though. Like, they're all jealous. Everybody's jealous of me and what I have. It's so weird. Mm -hmm. Especially, like, crippled people specifically, they're all jealous of me because I'm not crippled. It's like, what? Where where does that thought even come from? (laughs) (laughs) Whenever, every time I read that line, I just go, what? (laughs) Depths of the mind. I guess. I don't know. It's just crazy. But it is a really interesting look, and it does... Remind us that Regal and his mother have that penchant uh, for hating anyone that is other. Yes. And so Regal is thinking of Will here. Yeah, it's all Will's fault, but he needs Will to make more coteries. So he's thinking, oh, maybe I should send someone back for Will. I kind of need him. He's the only one who knows how to, like, wake the skill in other people. Right. And he reaches out with the skill to see if he's still alive. He says, Will? Not exactly. I closed my skill around him. It was ridiculously easy, like picking up a sleeping hen from its perch. Let me go! Let me go! I felt him reaching for his other coteries. I slapped them away from him, closed him off from their skilling. He had no strength. He had never had any real skill strength. It had all been his coterie's power that he had puppeteered. It shocked me. All the fear I had borne inside me, over a year's time now. Of what? Of a whining, spoiled child who schemed to take his older brother's toys. The crown and the throne were no more to him than their horses and swords had been. He had no concept of governing a kingdom, only of wearing a crown and doing what he wished. First his mother, and then Galen, had done his scheming for him. He had learned from them only a sly cunning as to how to get his way. If Galen had not bound the coterie to him, he would never have wielded any true power. Stripped of his coterie, I saw him as he was, a cosseted child with a penchant for cruelty that had never been denied. This is what we have feared and fled? This? Night Eyes, what do you do here? Your kill is my kill, my brother. I would see what meat we have come so far to take. Regal is thrashing and squirming against that unclean wit touch. Yes. But this is, this goes to show that Fitz is figuring out that, yeah, it was Queen Desire and Galen who kind of masterminded everything. But I will say I think he's still a little bit biased here and doesn't give Regal all the credit he is due because he only says he learned a sly cunning to get his way. He did a lot on his own. Yeah. (laughs) He was very charismatic. He was a great politician, as we've talked about before. Yeah. He yes, he was extremely good at getting his way. And what he wanted, very manipulative, but that does take skill and planning. And yeah. he had a, a very good knack for improvising out of broken plans or changes in plans. Right. He never once let it show that it was stopping him. Yeah. There was no falter in his plan. He just went as though that is what he planned all along, which is an amazing talent to have. Mm-hmm. It is really hard to stand in the face of something Especially going when wrong. when you're drunk and high the whole time. <laughs> exactly. Imagine <laughs> imagine this man sober and a good guy. Like the he and Shade would have so much fun. Like <laughs> 
I, no, I don't think Shade could stand him. <laughs> if he was not a bad guy, right. I think he would be fine. Maybe. I don't know. It just, ugh. It, I think you're right, though. This does, this is a little bit too, like, well, he, he's nothing. He sways too hard from, like, I am totally terrified of Regal. He is the root of all evil to he is nothing. Yeah. He was never anything. He's it's the basically people who are a dead. baby. Yes. <laughs> it It's just such a swing of emotion and right. thought from Fitz that I think it goes a little overboard here. Yeah. Not that it's, you know, out of his character or anything. Right. It's just it does, a bad thought, critical thinking from Fitz. Yeah. And it is really interesting because it kind of echoes Regal's thoughts where Regal never takes the blame for anything, right? Mm-hmm. It's always somebody else's fault. And then we have Fitz in the recesses of his mind and still not blaming Regal. I mean, mm-hmm. there is blame for Regal. He's not, like, innocent in Fitz's mind, but he doesn't get any of the credit for anything. Mm-hmm. And so it is really interesting to see this echo of, like, Regal can't take accountability, but also Fitz refuses to make him feel accountable. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I just find that really interesting. <laughs> so Night Eyes is leaning on Regal's mind here. And I we'll talk about his yeah. connection. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I know. <laughs> And Regal is, you know, repulsed and kind of scared and Fitz gets Night Eyes to back away. But as you looked excited, this is Night Eyes purposefully choosing to go with Fitz's mind and see what he is visiting with the skill across the skill link. It's different than what we've talked about before and what I theorized. That only people connecting to Fitz's mind could Night Eyes influence? And when Fitz went away using the skill, he could not influence it. So what are your thoughts? I think this points to the fact that Night Eyes should be able to follow in the skill. That all these times when Night Eyes is like, you were cut off and I couldn't reach you, feels really strange now reading this package Mm -hmm. where he is willingly going into somebody else's mind through Fitz. I thought the same thing because there are so many other times. Literally, this is the only time yep. where he's like, I just thought I should see what you're chasing. Right. And <laughs> it's like, I, I don't know if it's because Fitz is asleep in the other times. And that's why Night Eyes can't yeah. reach him. If it's like a waking mind kind of thing. But I, I really don't know. There, It could be, like you said earlier, this is an area that is more skill heavy there's the skill is more readily available. Yeah, and yeah. so maybe because it is so plentiful and Fitz seems to have a stronger grasp here, it's more steady for Night Eyes to be able to follow. I so, could, yeah, I could see that too. So potentially that also feeds into him having the strength to support both him and Night Eyes. Maybe usually he can't. Mm-hmm. And this is just the place that they're in. It's just kind of like the right place at the right time. But I do feel like there should be more than that. I don't know. Right. Yeah, there should be. But like there are some explanations for it. <laughs> They're just kind of a little shaky. I don't know. Yeah. This uh, this threw me for a loop because I remember this scene, but I don't I didn't remember it when talking about everything. Yeah. All the other conversations we had. So it's just still another thing of like, well, we don't know what the rules of the skill and the wit are, especially right. we don't know about them together. Because obviously this is a unique thing that isn't very common. Right. No, I definitely got really excited to read this. I was like, ooh, can't wait to tell Luke that he's wrong. So. 
<laughs> but also, like, you're not necessarily wrong. It's just this one time. Right. So. It, it just feels out of place, yeah. like you said. So if you have any thoughts on that, please let us know about, you know, Night Eyes' ability to follow Fitz's skill magic in any direction. It's, it is interesting. So Night Eyes is here, leaning against his mind. Fitz says, hey, back off. Like, don't. It's fine. You're yeah. doing too much. Yeah. Because <laughs> he's, he's pressing against him so much that... Regal could smell him all that way away, and he was retching and shuddering at it. Right. So Fitz is like, okay, that's that's enough. And Night Eyes says, if you're going to kill him, do it soon. The other one weakens and will die if you do not hurry. Fitz realizes that Will is indeed weakening and feeds him more strength. Even though Will doesn't want to take it, he forces it to him to keep him alive. This is like so... I know. This is like morally gray, I will say. Yes. <laughs> on Fitz's part. <laughs> also, <laughs> probably morally black on yeah. Fitz's part. <laughs> also, there's this idea that, like, he says that Will doesn't want to accept it, but the human body will choose life over death every yes. time, which I think is really interesting because we know that. Will at any point could just decide to die right now. Mm-hmm. Like we've seen Galen do it. We've seen Shrewd do it. And Will is refusing. So it is it is an option for Will to just like cut himself off. He has that loyalty to Regal. I guess he probably he has to stay can't, there. He probably can't purposefully kill himself or anything like that. Or, like, willingly die if he could still serve a purpose for his king. Ooh, I don't like that. Yeah. Another morally gray thing. Morally black, as he put yeah. it. <laughs> it's not really in the gray anymore. Ooh, I don't love it. Don't love it. But he is still alive. Mm-hmm. And... Fitz turns his attention back to Regal. Right. And Regal says, if you kill me, you will burn yourself. You will lose your own skill if you kill me with it. And I think Regal is saying this to try to dissuade Fitz Mm -hmm. from using it, because why wouldn't Fitz want more power? Right. And this is actually not that good of an argument against Fitz, because Fitz doesn't even like skilling. And he had thought of that already, he says. He's like, well, I like wit better anyway, so it doesn't really... (laughs) I had never much enjoyed being skilled. I had rather be... witted than skilled it would be no loss i forced myself to recall galen i called to mind the fanatical coterie he had created for regal it gave shape to my purpose as i had longed to do for so long i loosened my skill upon him afterwards there was little left of will so we have that this is what i was talking about the lead up of like how much skill does it take to kill somebody? Blah, blah, blah. And then Regal's like, hey, don't kill me. You'll burn, burn your skill out. And Fizz is like, I don't care about my skill, so I'll loose my skill upon you. Yes, but <laughs> there is that little nugget in there. There is. Of I recalled him- Galen and yeah. the fanatical coterie. Yes. And so as a rereader, it's like, aha, see, he was never going to kill him. Mm-hmm. And I wonder when he decided not to kill Regal. I feel like it was the, I don't know, I could make an argument with just my feelings on Fitz never intended to do it all along, but I feel like it was the revelation of, like, Regal isn't anything. He was just a puppet, too. 
he had no power <laughs> and he's just a baby. I feel like that might have been the actual turning point. Right. I don't know. I don't know either. I do. I don't know. I go back and forth. I feel like Fitz wanted to kill Regal for so long. It's a little strange that he doesn't. I'm glad he doesn't because I think what he does is better mm-hmm. by far. But I do wonder if there was a little bit of skilling put in him not to kill Regal. Uh, maybe. I mean, he could still want to, but ultimately he doesn't. And I do wonder if that is a skill influence on himself that he is not necessarily fully aware of. Yeah, maybe. Not sure. I don't know. By shrewd or by um, others? I think Verity. You think Verity, I would like think... when he said, come to me, like, don't do that? Yes. I think that there was a conversation about not killing Regal or to leave Regal alone or something. And potentially that inadvertently maybe but i guess then he wouldn't be seeking him out anyway i don't know but i i do also think there is that time when he promised shrewd he wouldn't kill right (laughs) which is why he like wrestles with the idea of doing it in the first place i don't know it's definitely potential maybe not it's not just it's not something i feel as strongly about as other things it's just a thought that i have it's a little something that could be there yeah (laughs) But we are left without knowing. We're left assuming that Regal is dead now. Yes. And it's Will's turn to die. Mm-hmm. And um, Fitz has a death watch. Yes. He gives Will water and covers him up with a blanket when Will complains of being cold. Night Eyes wants Fitz to just kill him to get it over with. And Fitz says that that might have been kinder but he's decided he's not an assassin anymore so he will not be killing will and i feel really weird about this because on the one hand like you you shouldn't kill people just because it's a faster death but on the other hand you're not an assassin anymore like okay fits you could have just put him out of his misery or like actually helped him to get better i don't know i understand why he can't but (laughs) It did make me feel a little weird about it. But either way, Will ends up passing away. And at least he's not alone. I guess that is a kindness extended to him. And Fitz and Night Eyes walk off. Away from the Black Skill Road. Away from the pillars. Following a good trout stream so they can eat well. And Fitz says he thinks only of things that did not hurt. Not of Molly and Birik's embrace but of Nettle, sheltered in by his good right arm. He would be a good father to her. He had had practice. I even found it in me to hope that she might have younger brothers and sisters in years to come. I thought of peace returning to the mountain kingdom, of red ships driven from the coast of the six duchies. I healed. Not completely. A scar is never the same as good flesh, but it stops the bleeding. Again, this is a... A naive fits not fully healing because he doesn't have all of his memories or right. feelings from those memories. Right. But for this, he is healing a bit. Yeah, he doesn't he is, have to dwell. He has time off. You yeah. Know, he, he's <laughs> taken a nice little earned vacation. And at night, it's confusing in the uh, in the order that it's written. But at night, he skill walks and is there to witness a bunch of the scenes that happen. To right. conclude this war. 
but it's written like he was actually there at Buck when things happened. <laughs> right. Although it doesn't happen right away. So he does get a few days off, like you said. Yes. But yeah. the at nighttime skill walking starts when they get there. He mentions mm-hmm. that even a dragon flying from the Mountain Kingdom to Buck takes a while. Yes. It's a large distance to cover. But eventually, Verity as dragon gets there. Mm-hmm. And he flies over Buck and sees the forged people roaming the town, uh, I guess, of Buckkeep. Yeah. And the sails in the harbor. Yeah, the, the red sails. And they are distraught. They go to the castle and they are met with pikes and people throwing arrows at them. And even as they are flying down, there is a vision of Ketrikin trying to stand on the shoulders of Verity as dragon to tell them to cease their fire. And they have made it. Mm -hmm. On the ground, he dipped his shoulder to let a disheveled Queen Ketrikin dismount. Starling Bird's song slid down behind her and distinguished herself by bowing to the line of pikes that were pointed at them. I saw not a few faces I recognized, and shared Verity's pain at how privation had transformed them. Then patience came forth, pike gripped tightly, helm askew upon her bundled hair. She pushed through the awestricken guards, her hazel eyes flinty in a pinched face. At the sight of the dragon she halted. Her gaze went from the queen to the dragon's dark eyes. She took a breath, caught it, then breathed the word. Elderling. Then she threw both helm and pike into the air with a whoop and rushed forward to embrace Ketrikin, crying, An elderling! I knew it! I knew it! I knew they would come back! She spun on her heel, issuing a flurry of orders that included everything from a hot bath for the queen to readying a charge from the gates of Buckkeep Castle. But what I will always hold in my heart is the moment when she turned back to stamp her foot at Verdia's dragon and tell him to hurry up and get those damn ships out of her harbor. The Lady Patience of Buckkeep had become used to being obeyed swiftly. Verity rose and went to the battle as he always had, alone. Finally, he had his wish, to confront his enemies, not with the skill, but in the flesh. (sighs) Homecoming. Homecoming. It's an emotional passage. Yes. I'm glad we get to see Patience one last time. I think it's super fitting that she is pike in hand with her guard to defend the castle. Helmet askew. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Very Patience. I love also that she's telling what to her seems like a real dragon what to do right like yeah. no hesitation just like <laughs> all right well stamping her foot like well come on get on go. with it <laughs> there are ships down there <laughs> i think that's kind of funny and i love that for her i'm reminded again how much patience is amazing and i wish we had more of her mm-hmm. but i also like that she is embracing Ketrikin, that she is excited, that she's bringing cheer to the troops. There is a sense of hope returning. Yeah. And even though we don't really get to know about the reaction of the rest of the guard, we know that at least the important people <laughs> that we know of <laughs> are excited and celebrating. And Verity gets his wish. Yeah. What he wanted all along. It's such a a sad, sad section because Fitz starts it out with he goes into like what he's always done, war alone. 
Yes. You know, he's, he's doing everything alone. But like you said, he gets his wish. That's all he wanted. He wanted to fight sword to sword before, but now he does get to take him on physically. Yeah. Get and his revenge. Yeah. And I, uh, I'm glad that he finally got to do the fighting he wanted to, although I do not necessarily condone it. <laughs> I'm not a big <laughs> fan of war, you could say. <laughs> although is anyone, I guess. But yeah, I think it's great that it, for how much is taken away from Verity with this sacrifice he has done, at least he gets something from it. <laughs> right. Which is like not the greatest consolation, I guess. But I also don't think it's fair to say that he's alone in fighting because uh, Kettle is there too. Right. Kestrel, I yes. guess. And a couple hours later, Girl on a Dragon shows up and the other dragons come as well. Yes. But it is made mention here that despite the number of dragons who came, Verity was the dragon that the folk of Buck would remember clearest. Not that folk remember anything too clearly when dragons are flying overhead, casting their shadows below. Still, he is the dragon one sees on all the tapestries of the cleansing of Buck. So all the dragons come, they help clear out Buckkeep Town, and it takes them till about dusk of that day right. to hunt the remainder of the Forged Ones and the Raiders in the streets itself yep. and clear out the harbor. Yep. And it takes the rest of the summer to help get rid of all of the Raiders throughout the duchies. Yes. Fitz says, I saw it all, or as much as would fit into my sleeping hours. So that's the first time that we learn it's while he's sleeping, so right. we can infer that it's skilling. <laughs> but he says, even awake, I was aware of it, like thunder, more felt than heard from the distance. I knew when Verity led the dragons northward to purge all buck and burns, and even the near islands of red ships and raiders. I saw the scouring of Ripple Keep and the return of Faith, Duchess of Burns, to her proper keep girl and a dragon and fool, flew south along the coast of Ripon and Shokes, rooting raiders out from their strongholds on the islands as well. Ah, Shokes is south, so they must, Shokes must be the border with Chelsea. Yes. Oh, I forgot to, I looked at that last oh, time. Oh, did you? Okay. And I was going to say something and then we moved on and I totally forgot. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I think it's really interesting that Fitz can feel them even in the waking hours. I think that talk that speaks to the magnitude of skill used to create these creatures. Right, yeah. I don't think real dragons have this effect. No. There's no. never a sense with, at least that Fitz mentions, of I think being able to sense them. Also because he has a skill link with Verity and seems to know what Verity is feeling in that first scene. Right. I feel like he has a little bit more awareness yeah. than some other people might. That's fair. And then he's also connected to Girl on Dragon yeah. in some way. Mm -hmm. so. I don't know. That's a good point, I suppose. He doesn't know how Verity talked to the dragons to only hunt the raiders, but that was conveyed somehow. Only the forged ones and the raiders are attacked. And children and families would run out to witness the dragons flying overhead. They would go up and touch them when they were sleeping on beaches it was a summer of dragons, as Fitz describes. Yeah. I do think it's super interesting that 
the people of the duchies are touching these dragons Mm -hmm. and witnessing them with excitement, especially because we know that this whole thing was started because of King Wisdom flying over and inadvertently forging the... Or... Or on purpose, I don't know. On purpose. (laughs) (laughs) Forging the people of the Out Islands because it really takes into question how long was that war or like how much were they going over those people because... These buck people are spending the whole summer touching them and being around them and are not coming away forged. Remember, touching them doesn't seem to do anything if you're like next to them. It's only flying over. I guess, but Girl on a Dragon sucked away. Yeah, that's Girl on a Dragon, though. That's a unique... I guess. I don't know. That is a very unique... That's uh, fair. When they were sleeping in the gardens, they didn't take anything from anybody, so... Fully realized awakened dragons don't seem to do anything until they're flying overhead of you. Hmm. I don't know. But they do mention that the dragons aren't remembered clearly. Right. They are, you know, they are taking some of those memories, those instant kind of, you know, what actually just happened... Yeah, and then you're only seeing the receding picture of them flying away. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, things are not as clear, but people don't seem to mind or notice, I guess. (laughs) The summer passes like that, and autumn is coming on. And as Fitz and Night Eyes are looking for shelter for the winter, Fitz had dreams of dragons flying over shores he had never seen before. Water churned cold against those harsh shores, and ice encroached on the edges of their narrow bays. The out-islands, I I surmised. Verity had always longed to bring the war to their shores, and did so with a vengeance. And that, too, was as it had been in King Wisdom's time. This part, I'm a little frustrated with. I don't understand why Verity would want to take the war to the out-islands when he knows that the people that are part of the Redship War are not necessarily there because they want to be. It is well known, at least to Verity and Chade and Fitz, that Kebel uh, Rawbread is threatening people. I don't think so. You don't think it's... I know it's like... I think it's known after the war. All these, All this knowledge is from the epigraphs. Well, hear me out... People that were fleeing said that, like the people from the Out Islanders in the beginning, when they the wars were first starting, when they had like migrated to the duchies, they were being mistreated. But they would talk about how they didn't like the Out Islanders and how they people were being forced. I feel like there were conversations then about how people were being forced. Maybe, but I don't think Verity was a part of those. Fitz was there, and. Fitz was connected to Verity during that time. But that riding along with you isn't a constant sharing of thoughts. I guess. I I don't know. I, I, I don't think that Verity, like, I don't think the full extent of that knowledge is known. You know, I don't think the full, this is a person who is actually threatening and forging other people. I think it was still a nationalistic mentality of these are out islands and we're six duchies doesn't matter what they say. They're the enemy kind of thing. I guess. Shade might have believed it. You know, I, I do remember some of those conversations, too. Just just bare memories of them because it was guess, so long ago. But uh, I, I don't know if the full extent, because his name was not known until after the war. Right. That's like, fair. I guess 
the more detailed version is not known, but I'm specifically thinking of how like it took Fitz literally hearing from two refugees that they also hated the red ships and that like people were being taken against their will for him to feel like, oh, hey, these are people too, not just out islanders. And I remember a whole conversation about that. So that's why I'm like, I feel yeah. like there was at least some base level knowledge that not every single out islander is the cause. Sure. Yeah, definitely. However, that's always been a thought of Verity's and Fitz has always expressed it, that he wanted to fight at the out islands. And Verity was occupied the whole like three summers <laughs> right. skilling and, and not really in the center of any conversation besides right, just trying fair. to defend I don't know. It just it feels like something that Chade would have had heard rumblings of and would have shared with Shrewd, if not also Verity. Shrewd wasn't in his best mind either. I know, but I'm saying <laughs> that like I feel like Verity could have known. He could have known, yes. And I I don't think it matters though either. Yeah. I don't know. I, mean, I it's guess it's an emotional reaction. You want to defend and right. bring vengeance for wreaking such terrible havoc on your country. Right. And I definitely understand it. It just I don't know. I guess it just is like sad because I know that this is just continuing the cycle, which Fitz does mention. And also knowing that a lot of those people were not willingly part of this and they're getting punished. That also makes me feel bad. I also like the out islands as a whole. I feel like they have to know that culturally they are separate groups that like these are different families that live on different islands and like to blanket blame all of them feels horrible too, right? Like these are separate clans. They're not like, this feels more like the mountain people where like even less structured than the mountain people where they're kind of more nomadic, except there's not planes that they're roaming through. It's the ocean. And so I think that part also sticks with me of like, why would you fight these people? And I I don't know. No one knows that part about them, really. You don't think Verity knows? He's a royal. He should know about other cultures. (laughs) In, I don't know, in the Tawny Man or whatever, it's like new information to everybody when they're going over to the Out Islands. You know, Chade has had to study and like Mm. give stuff, you know? I, I just feel like. Their culture has not been explored because of these raiders all the like yeah. time after time after time every year. Yeah, that, I guess that's fair. I mean, I do have more knowledge than Fitz and Verity probably <laughs> as a reader who has read the whole series. <laughs> you have more knowledge of the whole story than they have ever known in their lives. That's weird to think about. Yeah, <laughs> except for the Queen Desire parts. Right. But. Well, either way, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't think it's fair to the Islanders, even the ones who did the mean thing. I don't know. Well, the dragons I'm too fly. I'm softy. Yeah. <laughs> the dragons fly over them and they bring the fight to their shores. And it's turning winter now. And it is winter in the high passes where it's snowed. When Fitz and uh, Night Eyes witness the dragons flying over them back to their garden. Night Eyes sends up a howl at them. And... Fitz says, as they swept over me, the world blinked around me, and I lost all but the vaguest memory of it. I could not tell you if Verity led their flight, or even if Girl on a Dragon was among them. I only knew that peace had been restored to the six duchies, and that no red ships would venture near our shores again. I hoped they would all sleep well in the stone garden, as they had before. I went back into the hut to turn the rabbit on the cooking spit. I looked forward to a long, quiet winter." 
So something that you didn't read from here, but that is stated in this paragraph is that Fitz is in the valley where the hot springs are. Yes. This hut is in that area. Mm -hmm. Is this something that stays true? Yeah. uh, They, they mentioned that they spend like a full year in like the mountains before they start wandering around. And then they ultimately, you know, they go down to the rain wilds or something and come back and they spend some time with Rolf and then they settle down in that hut by the, by Buck or whatever right. it is, by Forge. It's, yeah, by Forge. That's what I was going to say. I remember that their final stop yeah, is the Forge. cabin or whatever. <laughs> but I'm like, so they built a hut here. The way that it's, it sounds in reading this and the following paragraphs is like, and here's where we stayed in this hut near the steam baths. And I'm like, no, you didn't. What? <laughs> so I was very confused. I'm like, wait. Am I, yeah, that is, is kept weird? consistent. It's just okay. a throwaway line in the next ones, I think. Or maybe in the epilogue chapter mm. that they spent like a year beyond the mountains still. And then they spend a couple of years traveling, right? Because they yes. go through. They go to the cursed shore. They like go through Chalced and then walk back on the cursed shore. So they get yeah. like really delirious <laughs> and they go to the rain wilds, but they hate it. That, that's what I'm saying. Oh, yeah. That's the, um, short. Right. Yep. They, they go to, I can't remember if they go through the rain wilds or through the cursed shore or they take a ship to like Bangtown and they're like, no, this is not for us. And like go back along the shore, something like that. Yeah. And they, they're kind of, maybe they go down from the mountainside, like yeah, through the, into from Kelsingra down to the rain wilds. They would have seen like Treyhog and all of those. Well, who like, says that they didn't? Maybe they just don't talk Kassarik. about it. I don't know. I feel like he would have mentioned something about like scaled beings, you know. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he avoided humans. He like didn't want to deal with people, so he like skirted the civilizations. But also, I feel like they would have died with no water there because it's That's all true. acidic. I don't know. I I don't remember their exact journey. I'm sure someone <laughs> will will mention it to us about what route they took. Somebody, I know it's I know it's mentioned. Somewhere. Somebody listening absolutely knows the route that they took and is like trying to pull their hair out with how wrong we are. Yeah. yeah. So sorry. <laughs> but yeah, they, they spend a couple years traveling, and I know he spends. I can't remember if it's a full year or not with Black Rolf and Holly, just learning a little bit more about Old Blood. Right. And then they finally settle down in that cabin. I don't think it's right by Forge because Hap comes, like, was orphaned. In that area. In that yeah. area. But it's it's near there, yes. Yeah. So all of that happens. The dragons are finally bedding down for hibernation again. Fitz knows that the Six Duchies is safe through his skill dreams uh, and... He knows that the red ships would never venture near the shores again. Right. He makes note that the promised elderlings did come as they were supposed to. And And just as they did in King Wisdom's time. Yeah. And with that, it talks a little bit about how Verity is remembered. Because as we oh, know, real quick, there's oh, yeah. a small note. It does say two great white, two great sailed white ships were sunk as well in that great cleansing. I didn't want yes. you to skip over Sorry. that by accident because <laughs> that is important. There were two ships that were sunk that were white sailed. That's where they actually forged people. Yes. Yeah. And which means that Fitz's vision of the white ship was right. real. Exactly. That he did see a real ship. 
Yes. Thank you. Sorry about that. Yeah. No, that's okay. So Verity is remembered. Yes. Yeah. So and it goes into a little bit about how Verity is remembered because we, the reader and Fitz, know that Verity turned into a stone dragon. He doesn't exist anymore. But you can't really tell the people of the six duchies that. So we want to know what happens. What's the aftermath? And it's said that Verity rode on the back of his dragon and that he fought single-handedly driving the Red Ship Raiders from their shore and that just like in King Wisdom's time, he made a deal. The elderlings helped like they promised, but he had to go back to their castle mm-hmm. and he ate a magic feast and is now slumbering for until the next time that Buck needs their help, the yep. elderlings' help. Yeah, mirroring that King Wisdom story. Yep. It also makes note of something that we had a lot of conversations about in that first book. Yes. And a little bit of the second book as well about, you know, all the tapestries and the scrolls about elderlings and things like that. It says all the myriad shapes and colors of the dragons made their way into the scrolls and tapestries of that time, just as they had before. And folk filled in what they could not remember of the battles when dragons filled the sky overhead with guesses and fancies. Minstrels made songs of it. All the songs say that Verity came home himself upon the turquoise dragon and blah, 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 what you said. Yes. But that that first part there is very important because that, I think as we had mentioned back in that time, maybe Mm -hmm. not as heavily leaned on this fact, but they do steal your memories. Yeah. And that explains a lot of the discrepancies between different depictions of elderlings. Because a lot of it's like, oh, it looks like a winged lizard. Oh, it looks like a man with scales. Oh, it looks like a dragon, like a, a winged lizard, but standing on two legs with somebody next to him. Like, right. it's a lot of different kinds of depictions. Yeah. Artist interpretation of a memory taken away. Yes, exactly. Filled in with guesses. Yep. And so, yeah, I think that is a good point that this kind of rounds out why all of the tapestries from so long ago were so poorly done. Hopefully right. somebody wrote down what they did know. I guess that's what Fitz is doing now so that in the future there's not the same problem of like, well, there's no need to define horse because everybody knows what a horse is. Uh, he probably burned them. Yeah. <laughs> burned the scrolls. It's fine. True. Jade wrote it down somewhere, I'm sure. Yes. So the next part of this story is Regal. Yeah. Regal come riding down at the head of a column of 6,000 ferrymen to bring aid and supplies, not just to Buck, but to all of the coastal duchies. The news of his return had preceded him, as had the barges of livestock, grain, and treasures from Tradeford Hall itself that came in a steady stream down the Buck River. All spoke in wonder of how the prince had started up from a dream and run half-dressed through the halls of Tradeford, miraculously foretelling the return of King Verity to Buckkeep and the summoning of the elderlings to save the six duchies. Birds were sent, withdrawing all troops from the mountains and offering his most humble apologies and generous monetary reparation to King Aod. He summoned his nobles to foretell to them that Queen Ketrikin would bear Verity's child and that he, Regal, wished to be the first to pledge fealty to the next Farseer monarch. In honor of the day, he had ordered all gallows pulled down and burned, all prisoners pardoned and freed, and the king's circle was to be renamed the Queen's Garden, and planted with trees and flowers from all six of the duchies as symbol of new unity. 
When later that day the red ships attacked the outskirts of Tradeford, Regal himself called for his horse and armor, and rode to lead the defense of his folk. Side by side he fought next to the merchants, longshoremen, nobles, and beggars. He gained in that battle the love of the common folk of Tradeford. When he announced his allegiance must always be to the child Queen Ketrickin carried, they joined their vows to his. And so that is what Fitz was doing. He put all of these different orders and skill commands and loyalties into Regal that changed him for the better, but still is gross. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's good in that the good guys get a break from Regal. <laughs> but it, but it goes to show how disgusting that mind conversion is and what yes. it, it completely reversed every single thing that he did. Yeah, this is basically alternate dimension regal. And I don't know, it's a little bit scary to know that the skill has the power to do that to people. But it's for the good here. So I don't know. I don't love it. <laughs> I don't know. Taking away someone's free will is just not good, even when it's used for good. But here we are. It's happened. And Regal is fighting with the good guys. He is trying to right his wrongs. Mm -hmm. He is helping. He is fighting for himself, which is something he's probably never done. Right. It does make mention specifically, as you read, that Regal gained a new appreciation for the common man in this fight. Well, the common man gained an appreciation for him. He gained in that battle the love of the common folk. Oh, okay. I read that as like... He gained a new appreciation for the common oh, folk. No. So I was like, that's no. like a little bit wild, right? Yeah, no, it's, it's okay, the other okay. way around. Yeah, the common <laughs> folks saw him <laughs> fighting next to them and they're like, oh, this is a leader we can follow. Yeah. Oh, he's following these people. They must be worthy of following as well. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. Never mind. Then I was going to say, <laughs> do you think he like actually learned a lesson no. or no? <laughs> no. No. He, he was screaming in horror in his mind, trapped. Of like, ew, this is gross and dirty. But I have to. Yes. Yeah. The whole time. And it talks about him actually reaching Buckkeep and how he reportedly stayed on his hands and knees in a dirty clothes in front of Buckkeep gates. Not clothes, only a sackcloth. Yes, robed only in sackcloth. So like a burlap sack, probably. Yeah, that's what I'm imagining. I'm imagining potato like sack. Yes. Straight up just Dobby kneeling just at the a gates. Head cold, or a head a hole cut out and then the armholes little and he's like, like yeah pillowcase kind of I, I would like to imagine that he's also made like a um a belt out of like a, a rough rope because it's still regal and he has to like make it fashion <laughs> but that's just me personally <laughs> so it's said that he stays kneeled in front of the gates for some days until queen ketrickin herself comes down to accept his most abject apologies forever doubting her honor into her hands, he returned both the crown of the six duchies and the simpler band of the king-in-waiting. He no longer wished, he told her, to hold any higher title than uncle to his monarch. The queen's paleness and silence at his words were put down to the uneasy stomach her pregnancy gave her. <laughs> Which is hilarious because minstrels will obviously put a good spin to every action right. that their monarch is doing. It's obviously not her pregnancy <laughs> that it is giving her... <laughs> Her pale look. <laughs> yes. I do wonder if, I mean, so Ketrickin doesn't know that this is skilled into him. Like, this is just regal 
all of a sudden appearing like this. I wonder if she thought this was another ploy. Probably 100%. That's why she probably waited, you know, days before she went down to him. I don't know. I wonder if if Regal wouldn't have died, spoiler, (laughs) if she would have ever trusted him. Maybe after a couple years. Yeah. I I feel like so this particular I'm just imagining it. She waited a couple days. It was sprung up in the middle of the night. Regal kind of got this whole like, hey, let's change everything. Those couple of days were enough for a messenger to come from Tradeford to talk to Chade and be like, this is actually like seems legit. Right. And then they made their decision off of that. And I just know. I don't think I I truly do believe and agree with you that she wouldn't have trusted him. However, she's always quicker to trust him than any other person has, even after she has been wronged by him. Right. But I think in this case, this is after the death of her first child. And I think she heavily blames Regal for that, as she should. And so I think that, like, I don't think there's coming back from that. I think he's Mm -hmm. kind of used up his chances with her. And maybe not. I don't know. Maybe if it like 20 years from now, if he was still this crazy about the kingdom, then like she would eventually realize that this is real and to stay. But I think, yeah, I get why on her end, she's not really just like, okay, cool. Let's be nice to Regal because this could just be another of Regal's tricks. Like, who knows? He's offering a lot of stuff back, though, and seems pretty genuine because he also gives all the skill scrolls that he has left to Chade. Yes. We know that a lot of them have been sold or given over to the Pale Woman. and the And Kebble Robred and the Red Ship Raiders. But giving over what scrolls and books that Skillmastress Solicity had locked away somewhere. And then also that he was giving lands and titles to the fool (laughs) as soon as the fool returned from his war. (laughs) And to his dear, dear sister-in-law, Lady Patience, he returned the rubies that chivalry had given her, for they could never grace any neck as finely as they did her own, which I thought was very sweet of Fitz to remember his mother. Yes, to make sure that she got the special rubies. Yes. Made me happy. But I thought that was very, would seem even more suspicious. Would be like, hey, also lands and titles to the fool. (laughs) Right. I know that was like a little bit. And fool does not accept. He runs away. Yes. Yeah. So it's not given to him, but it is. It is a little bit too far, but I get it. Fitz is like, I'll help my buddy out. And it's funny because it leads into this next one that says, I had considered having him erect a statue in my memory, but had decided that would be going too far. (laughs) Honestly, should have done it. I think it would have been perfect. He's a new man. (laughs) I think Ketrickin would have wanted to, but Shade would have said no. I think potentially if Fitz would have done it, even as just like, you know what? Why not? I'm here anyway. Sort of deal. I think it could have made his reputation better and like opened the door for him to come back into society way sooner. hundred percent. I, the only reason I say I don't think Chade would agree to it is because it slightly endangers the reputation of the Royal family. If they're backing somebody who is still seen as a king killer and dirtied with the wit blood. Mm, Interesting. I feel like that's otherwise. Yes. If, If it was erected, yes, it would definitely probably at least help his reputation a little bit to have a 
unofficial but official stance by the royal family that he wasn't such a bad guy. Yeah, that he didn't actually <laughs> kill the king. Like, right. I don't know. I feel like if you would have had Regal do that and be like, I was wrong. I yeah. It was the evil coterie that I had with me. Right, yes. Like, I don't know. I think there are ways to do it. But, but it is very funny of Fitz to recognize it. Like, maybe that's a step too far. <laughs> The fanatical loyalty I'd had imprinted on him would be my best memorial. While Regal lived, Queen Ketrikin and her child would have no more loyal subject. Ultimately, of course, that was not long. All have heard of the tragic and bizarre death of Prince Regal. The rabid creature that savaged him in his bed one night left bloody tracks, not just on his bedclothes, but all about the bedchamber, as if it had exulted in its deed. Gossip had it that it was an extremely large river rat that had somehow journeyed with him all the way from Tradeford. It was most disturbing to all the folk in the keep. The queen had the rat dogs brought in to scour every chamber, but to no avail. The beast was never captured or killed, though rumors of sightings of the immense rat were rampant among the keep's servants. Some say that was why, for months afterwards, Lord Chade was seldom seen without his pet ferret. So ends chapter 40. Yeah. Small Ferret got his revenge. He did. As promised to Little his ferret. his uh, his partner who Big had passed ferret. away. Yes. Yeah. Snip, snip. <laughs> you know what? Raise a glass to little snip, snip over here. Getting mm-hmm. it done. He did what nobody else could do and felled regal <laughs> yeah it, it took like what four months or something of... uh, longer than that it's been oh yeah a it was year. the whole summer and the winter and yeah yeah it's i been mean a long time good on him mm-hmm. he he did it he said he was going to and he did yeah good for him a man of his word i respect it <laughs> if you want to praise small ferret or little ferret i think it was small ferret Please let us know and give sing his praises to us at isfitshappy at gmail.com. <laughs> if you have anything to uh, say to us about theories or anything, please reach out on any of our social medias as well. We're at isfitshappy at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We're coming up on our last episode. Last episode's next. Yeah. Woo. It's crazy. We've got to uh, talk about the whole trilogy yeah. and that epi- uh, the epilogue of old fits, old quote unquote, like 30 fits, 30 <laughs> 35 year old fits. Yeah. And I don't know, discuss everything that we uh, we want to talk about for the trilogy, wrap it up. So yeah. please send us thoughts, questions, theories, anything that you guys want us to touch on. Any questions about our podcast in general, yeah. any Metapod cast questions, anything uh, that you want us to think about going forward or questions yeah. you have maybe even about the next trilogy yes which as a reminder we're not going to the tawny man next we are going to do it in the order that these series were published so mm-hmm. we are going to the live ships yeah live traders. ship traders yeah I, <laughs> I always do it wrong it's the live ship traders next is it ship of magic or magic it's ship of magic ship right? of magic for okay sure. i was gonna say the i don't magic know if that's ship. A, no <laughs> that's not right <laughs> we're very excited very almost sad to be done with the the first trilogy Mm -hmm. excited to be over it though i'm ready to get to the sea be on the ocean with to the serpents your favorite parts Uh, i don't like the serpents but i do really like althea so (laughs) i'm ready for some really cool pirate ladies (laughs) (laughs) yes thank you so much for tuning in this it's an interesting end because we get 
pretty much the happy ending that people yeah. are looking for. I want to say Fitz is happy. This chapter. Yes. Yeah, I do. I'll, he I'll ends say that happy. Too. Yeah. Not so much the next one, yeah. I think, but happy-ish. We'll yeah. we'll talk about the full the ending and what we think about it in that last episode. Yeah. So please tune in for uh, for next week. Can't wait to end the series with you guys. Well, not the series, but the trilogy. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, so finishing off this regal chapter with a few points brought to us by our lovely listeners. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Should we start dark or <laughs> should we start light? Um, I don't know. Let's start dark. Okay. <laughs> and then lighten the mood before we end. Then we send us. Sounds good. This is an email that was sent in by Nathan. Yes. Thank you so much for this topic. It is very interesting and very thought-provoking. However, it is talking about the infamous body swap with Verity. Yes. And what happens afterwards, particularly with Starling. Yes. So in the moments before Starling and Fitz finally get together... There is this offer by Starling, you know, to give comfort and to chase away memories. And we didn't really dive into this topic very Mm -hmm. much. And I think all we said about it is that it's probably about getting rid of the the memory of Molly. Yes. And because I think Molly was mentioned right before that. Yes. Molly is mentioned before. And so we kind of voiced it as most likely trying to get rid of the memory of Molly moving on. Um, However, Nathan brought up a really interesting point that potentially this is not about Molly. Yes, because Um, this this is something that Starling has offered to Fitz before, which she also speaks on. Yes. But when she was bringing it up or when they were talking about it first, it was talking about her past. Yes. Basically chasing away memories, you know, is what she does. Yes. And it is something that she wanted to heal from what she had told Fitz about her past with sexual assault. Mm -hmm. This is brought up because the way Fitz is reacting um, in this moment when Starling is coming up on him, he's kind of scrubbing his uh, body. Well, when Starling is coming up on him, he's sleeping. I guess, yeah, that's fair. I guess before this. (laughs) But the fool would have told her kind of what had happened as well. Yeah, potentially. Mm -hmm. So... There's a little bit of knowledge. Fitz is kind of reacting the way that a lot of victims are depicted as reacted whenever they have been assaulted. Mm -hmm. Um, He's not or Nathan is not trying to push the idea that this is sexual assault or isn't. It's not. It's a very great. Everyone acts the same way. Yeah. Or or (laughs) this is not prescribing, but it is something that is kind of common that you like try to scrub your skin, scrub at your skin to get rid of the feeling and that there is just shame and not wanting to think about the things that happened. The way Fitz tries to push away Mm -hmm. the thoughts of what happened with Ketrickin and not being able to look at Ketrickin. And this is kind of something that happened to his body against his will. Yeah. And so there is that response. And 
at, has Starling is a survivor herself. It's potentially something she could pick up on just in what he is doing and how he is acting. And so she's offering the comfort that she knows helps her. Yes. So it's kind of I, I don't want to say it's one or the other, but this is a great insight because it could definitely be be heard talking about both. Right. They are specifically talking about Molly and chasing away that, but this is something that Starling knows, right? It's part of her character and that's how you chase away things. Yeah. That's how she chases away her pain and how she knows to help offer help. And I think it was a great insight into everything. Yeah. And I think it is important to bring that up and it is a really hard topic because I think especially with this chapter, it's really hard when characters that we like or that are supposed to be the good guy do things in this morally gray area that's leaning more towards bad things happening Mm -hmm. or them doing something bad. Because I think in this fantasy world, you want to believe that, like, at least in here in this fictional universe, there is just black and white, good and bad. And this reminds us that humans aren't all good or all bad there is a lot of ambiguity to human nature and that is a a theme that has run through and that we've talked about with the villains even like with regal is very sympathetic will is very sympathetic and all the coterie because they had no free will in some parts right you know it it's a lot of these things where there isn't a mustache twirling cartoon (laughs) villain you know yeah there are good guys who do bad things too. And so I think it's really good to point out that even though we like Verity and this isn't supposed to be like a, like crap on Verity talk. Yeah. And I, he knows what he did. It was wrong too. Yes. Cause he like immediately like, I can't apologize because I needed what happened, but also, yes. <laughs> so, and I don't want to belittle what he did either. Like, I think just because he is a good guy and like on the whole did good things doesn't mean we can't right. talk about the bad things that he did or we need to minimize the mm-hmm. bad things because he is somebody who did both. Um, and so I think it's really good to bring up the fact that um, this, I don't know, it depends on how you look at it, I guess, but potentially fits also has been through now sexual assault and that's not great in yeah in some form yeah yeah it's not one that would happen in real life obviously because you can't take over other people's bodies right um but it is something that happened that is pretty traumatic and that Fitz seems to be not happy with happened to his body without consent yes and he doesn't like it. And the shame that he may or may not be feeling isn't something that we're trying to like, he should feel shameful. It's definitely not that, that he didn't know what he was signing up for. Mm -hmm. Um, but it does make sense. And I thought that was a really good thing. And that's something that is important to talk about because yeah, definitely we don't want to not talk about it just because it's hard, Right. (laughs) even though it's hard to talk about. It's a very challenging topic. So, so thank you for the insight, Nathan. Yes. Also, I think it kind of does help Starling's character a little bit, makes her more sympathetic and brings to the point that she looks into things more. She is a noticer. That's what we've noticed about her. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Nathan. Then we had a comment from Amir or a message from Amir on Instagram. This is about our conversation I can't remember the episodes, but uh, it's about our conversation on elderlings having the skill about the age of things, how much time has passed, archaeology and how things have decayed, things like that. And Amir is is offering an insight that 
based on a few clues that he thinks that the cataclysm happened about 800 years ago, which still seems like not long enough for some things. I don't know. I don't I don't know the time cycles for some of these. It could be accurate. The way that some things are talked about, it seems like it was 3,000 years ago. And the ways that some other things happened, it seems like it was 200. You know, <laughs> 800 is a pretty good middle ground. To be fair. I don't know. Um, I'm a person who... It feels to me like last year was 2014. So time means nothing. It's all fake anyway. I don't, I have no strong true need. I, it wouldn't make sense to me anyway. I can't comprehend 100 years yeah. uh, any more than I can comprehend the last 10. <laughs> Amir also talks about uh, the elderlings having skill or knowing about skill and brings up the great point about how they found skill cubes in Eslevjal. Yes. So the elderlings had to know something about skill to create those. Yeah. The the weird thing to me is, I mean, this again, this could just be be because of a gap of knowledge in our point of view characters. They always separate elderling magic from the skill from wit. Yes. But that is from mostly we hear it from the dragon keeper chronicles and they don't really know what skill is true so it could be the same and uh, we had i i was of the opinion way earlier that the otherlings must have their own separate magic that was similar Mm -hmm. but then i think the last time we were talking about i said they could potentially have had the skill but like the new dragon keepers obviously didn't know about that because they weren't skilled themselves or anything And I I don't know, there's just so many things we don't know about the old elderlings and the knowledge that they had that could be delved into, which Amir touches on as well, that only Alice is the real researcher in Kelsingra. (laughs) Right. And she doesn't know anything about the skill either. So it would be extremely hard to categorize, study and, you know, quantify what they knew and how they knew it and how it worked. No, there's definitely something interesting about the magic with the elderlings. I think there's also the case that potentially the elderlings at Kelsingra didn't have skill. I mean, we know that the the life of the woman that Tymera sees, she has to use skill gloves that yeah. are made of dragon scales dipped in the skill. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important to bring up because we know that anyone using a skill glove can wield the skill like dwalia yes dwalia takes the 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 fingertips of the fool's the fool's degloved hand yes yeah which is so gross i hate thinking about that but the fool's hand did have skill on it and dwalia uses it and also there is like the weird elderling magic thing because malta creates balls of light that float around yes I and she was not skilled. Yeah, and so that doesn't seem like a skill power. Right, quote unquote. it's just oh. so nebulous to me that yes, uh, Amir is completely correct. We we overlooked the skill cubes. Yes, but on the other hand, could be created with actual skill, and we know that elderling cities were kind of created around those actual silver wells or streams or where they could access actual silver. Because how else are the dragons going to visit there? Right. (laughs) Or why would the dragons visit there if they didn't have silver? Exactly. No, it is really interesting. I think the skill cubes, I was going to say, 
how do we know that they do skill teachings? But we do know that they do because there is the healing cube yes. on how to do healing. Mm-hmm. And that is definitely a skill power, which would have needed to happen through evolution because dragons don't have the same sense of time as humans. And it seems like what happens in Kelsingra in the final trilogy where the groups are all together and their children are dying because the dragons aren't helping form the babies that that would affect yeah. all of the elderlings. And so, so they, they would need to learn how to use the skill to mm-hmm. fix their children. Yeah. Which leads into the other, the correction that Amir sent us. We were yes. talking about that scene about when Malta and Rain's kid Efren was saved by Fitz when they were kind of introduced to the skill and what only a dragon could do before. Yes. And Fitz just kind of heals. We were talking about how old that child was, Efren. And I remembered that Efren was able to have conversations and things. You thought he was a baby. Yes. But then kind of altered it like, oh, if he could talk, maybe he was just like eight years old or a toddler. Amir makes the correction that Efren was in fact 20. And 20 years have passed since the the... Uh, Dragon Keeper Chronicles to the Fits in the Fool trilogy. Yes. Which is a crazy time jump that I haven't really thought of before, but I did know that Efren was older. I just didn't kind of put it because also Kenneth's son is old in the final trilogy. Yeah, that's true. I guess I didn't like think about that part. <laughs> yeah. So so that is there, but there is a different scene where Fitz does heal all like the children and the babies. Yeah, all of the children th- in the village. Might be what you were kind of mixing it up with. Yeah, I think there has to be a baby at some point. I mean, maybe there's not a baby at all and I'm just like making it up. I completely. think there's a young kid. But I think he helps a small child. And so I was confusing that with Efren because those little details just Got think, lost. It's been a while since I've I think it was book. a young kid that was very bad because by the time that kid was born, the dragons had never been there. Right. So it yeah. never had like any help at all. Any help. Right. Yeah. No. So. And isn't it Timera's baby, maybe? I don't know. Uh, it doesn't I matter. No, it doesn't matter. I'm not gonna <laughs> I take it back. I don't know whose baby it is. It doesn't matter. We'll get there eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much, uh, Amira, for those corrections and those thoughts. Yes. It is always interesting to think on a little bit more in depth what's going on yeah. as a whole. As always, we look forward to hearing what else you guys bring to our attention next week. And we enjoy hearing from you in general. <laughs> Thank you. 